Choir directors are creative, resourceful, dedicated, and sometimes completely out of ideas. Not to worry, the Choir Ninja Podcast is here with solutions you never saw coming. Get ready for some training, wisdom, and inspiration from the masters. Let Ryan Guth guide your journey to becoming the Choir Ninja. Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Choir Ninja Podcast, and I'm back with another Voices of Houston. This is part two with Denise Eaton. And in this particular episode, we are going through a formula uh, that is the way to teach a piece of music using sequential layering. And if you use this method, I mean, it's foolproof. If you do what Denise tells you to do, you are going to have a very stress-free rehearsal process because you're going to have added each of the pieces at the right time, and you will sequentially layer the learning of, of a particular piece to the point where it will have been mastered before you get it to performance. So this is a very strong episode. Again, another toolbox episode type of thing for you. You're going to want to stop. You're going to want to rewind. You're going to want to take notes. Uh, It's a great episode, and it is part two of this particular Voices of Houston series. This was aired um, back in uh, earlier this year, Uh, but, but we wanted to obviously pay tribute to those in Houston who are without a school right now, who are um, without their outlet, um, you know, to sing and honor those who have um, um, had a very difficult time this past couple weeks. So this is Denise Eaton with um, Sequential Layering. Now, before we begin, uh, obviously I have to mention our sponsors, the same two sponsors, our loyal sponsors, sightreadingfactory.com and mymusicfolders.com. Both of these amazing companies have been longtime sponsors of the Choir Ninja podcast. First, sightreadingfactory.com is the number one place to go when you need a sight singing resource generated for you on the spot. It is a software program that allows you to make sight reading exercises and project them on a screen for your ensemble uh, based on specifications that you choose. If you also are interested, you can have student accounts for your individual choir members so they can go home and practice on their own, and you can also assess them, do recorded assessments through those student accounts as well. Choir Ninja will give you 10 free student accounts when you buy the teacher account for $35. And you can add as many student accounts as you want, but those first 10 are on me. So... Uh, go go on over to sightreadingfactory.com and use the promo code NINJA when you check out. The second sponsor is mymusicfolders.com. Mymusicfolders.com is the place to go for all things music folders. They have a wide range of folders from your sort of economy price up to deluxe um, leather you know, type folder as well for a director. So if you want to indulge for yourself, buy yourself a beautiful director folder, you can do that there. Or if you want to buy a bunch of folders for your choir, you can do that there as well. Just make sure that you use the promo code NINJA when you check out, or you can tell them that you found us 
found them on the Choir Ninja podcast, and they will give you the maximum bulk discount on your purchase. It doesn't matter how many folders you order, you will get the maximum bulk discount on your purchase. So head on over to mymusicfolders.com or give them a call or email and let them know you found them on the Choir Ninja show. And without without further ado, I guess we're going to just jump right in here with Denise. Get your pen and paper out. If you're driving, don't do that. Um, you can just head on over to choir.ninja forward slash 132 for today's show notes. Uh, they're very detailed, and they will break down this process for you uh, right there. So don't feel like you need to endanger others' lives on the road. If you're driving, um, you can just head on over to choir ninja forward slash choir dot ninja, pardon me, forward slash one three two and check out today's show notes. Have a wonderful day and enjoy this episode with Denise Eaton. Denise, welcome back. Thank you for coming back for part two. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate you asking me back. Now, this episode is stemming off of last week's episode, which was really about choosing repertoire and thinking about specific uh, little bits and pieces um, uh, that you need to keep in mind when you're choosing repertoire. Things like tonality, vocal development, um, you know, harmonic rhythm, you know, particular uh, hurdles that people that the students are going to have and that you need to plan for. And this episode is really speaking about how you teach a piece of music, what order you teach a piece of music in. Am I right? You are correct. Okay, so you have something that is called Eaton's Order of Events for Layering Skills in Sequential Teaching, which is, I don't think there's an, I don't think there's a, uh, uh, an abbreviation for that, is there? E-O-E-L-S-S-T? No, that doesn't really... Yeah, I was doing a session once, and in the middle I was talking about layering skills, and someone said, well, what's your order? And so I actually took the time to write it down. So, no, there, but there's one caveat prior to this, though, is that you have really studied your score. You've, mar- you've marked it, you know, where repeated patterns occur. You have an idea of how you're going to teach each um, segment and the order in which you teach it, not just from the beginning, you know. Um, so this works after you've done all that. You just can't, I guess you could do this. I don't know, but I, I think it's got to be really well thought out before you just jump into sequential teaching. Okay. So let's just take the next three minutes and figure out what those things are. Um, in, in order to, in order to really know a piece of music, you need to know blank before you can teach it. Well, you, first of all, you've got to have the sound in your head. What, what kind of sound is the choir going to need to, to be able to sing the song? Uh, does it fit your choir? I mean, of course, the ranges. I, I always go to range and text just right out of the chute. If the ranges aren't right, I, I don't even open the music because, you know, if they don't have it, they can't sing it. And then I look at the text, of course. Um, and because if, if I don't buy into the text, they're not going to buy into the text. Um, and if I don't think it has merit, I don't want to teach it. And then, of course, the style. And, and of course, all the other things we talked about in the last episode, mm-hmm. Ryan, about what we can teach from the song um, as, as well. So it, it really does, it, you know, puts the onus on the director really to, to you know, choose repertoire that, yes, is, that is appropriate 
that is saleable to your to your your students uh, and is music that you as a as a musician understand because if you don't get it you're never going to be able to transmit that to your to your students so so go Absolutely. back and listen to the last episode if you, i mean honestly if you haven't listened to it you really you really should listen to that one cuz we get pretty in depth um uh, in in that last episode so um uh anything denise that you want to you want to add before we move into uh your order yeah, I would say this. If you look at a piece and like five things don't immediately come to your mind um, how you would go about teaching it, it's probably not the piece for you yet. Mm-hmm. It might be one of those pieces you put back in the I want to, you know, that stack of pieces I want to do when I have the right choir and or I'm able to teach this. Um, but I think that's very important. If things don't just come to mind, you just don't immediately you see it and you go, OK, I could do this and this and this then it's probably not the right song for you yet. That doesn't mean it won't be in a year or two or three, you know. Um, just because you like something doesn't mean you can teach it and your choir can learn it. It's funny, as you get older and you get a little more humble, and believe me, I have Ooh, I have yes. I have plenty of, of of humbling to go, I think, but but I've I have noticed, you know, once I hit thirty, I have noticed that uh you know, I've had to have some real honest conversations with myself and really be- begin to understand what my gut sounds like and, and identify when I'm looking at a piece of music, what does my gut say about this piece? And if my gut disagrees with my ego, um, then I really need to put that piece down. Right. And, and you, you, you want, of course, we all want our students to have success. That's that's the end game of everything we do is to develop a good choirs, good teams, but have success. And, and you don't want to set them up for failure. So if you don't focus on their strengths and be very, very aware of their weaknesses, that's also a good barometer for choosing repertoire. So Denise, you ready to get into this, uh, this order? I'm, I'm excited about this because I'm, I'm looking at my notes, um, which are your notes on this and and this is what's going to really prompt our discussion and I'm I'm excited because I feel like I'm going to I feel like I'm doing some of these things already which I'm really glad but there's other things that I I'm excited to discuss with you because I'm going to implement them as soon as we're off this uh off this call. Well, <laughs> right. Well, I, so, I hope they help in some way. Okay, so number 1, this is a 6-point process and I'm going to read down these first and then Denise I'm going to have you discuss them. So, number 1, is teach rhythms before looking at the song. Number two is add solfege um, always with appropriate desired tone. Number three, sing on solfege with desired vowels and tone. Four, sing on a neutral syllable with desired vowels and tone. You see, do you see a, a pattern here? Mono- I think there is one. There is one. <laughs> Monotone chant and sing the text with desired vowels and tone. And then lastly, number six, sing on text, emphasizing desired vowels and tone. So let's get right back to one, teach rhythms before looking at the song. Right. So instead of like just giving them the music, I I had mentioned in the first episode, like that I start off a lot of many years with the Ed Sweeta volume one and do some really basic rhythms. And then I add some other rhythms and then I might, uh, I would do what I would call a breakdown. I call, I say, 
do the breakdown of the rhythms for better understanding and skill development. So it might be as easy as one, two, T, four, one, and two, and T, and four, and one, and T, and just basic patterns that you're going to find in X number of measures. But then I would go to the pulling out the rhythms that they're going to actually see in the song and maybe well, not and maybe, and in the order in which they're going to see them. And I'd also structure it such that on the sheet, um, the B letter B is the measures, let's say 16 to 24 slash. It also happens at 36 to blah, blah, blah. So I, my sheet is really the song, a lot mm -hmm. of the song. And I've thought through that because how I'm going to teach it. Right, because so, you're looking, you're taking a form-based approach to teaching a piece so you're you're maximizing the benefit at the time that you're that you're spending on sections by recognizing that if i teach this rhythmic element it appears four times in the piece if i can yes. learn it once if i can teach it once and they can learn it once then the, all they need to do is copy and paste the next three times exactly and what's so fun is it, it, it leads to exploratory learning because then you say, okay, let's look at measure 16 through 24, and then let's, where else does this occur? And they'll go measure blah through blah. Well, you've really already taught them it all, but they just are so successful at doing it, and you've been building their skills. So it, people go, I don't have time, and I just always say, how can you not have time? It is like, it's like a teaching dream because they're having success, and it, it's really cool. I think it's cool. Um, another thing too, it doesn't just include chanting. I, you know, kids are so, they can be so rhythmic when they, when they chant, you know, one and two and T and four, and then you ask them to sing and it's like, it's like jello. Um, there's not a lot of rhythmic energy and let's say it's a song that is rhythmic. Well, they're not going to just automatically sing with rhythmic energy. So it, if it's a four-part song, start off uh, men on one pitch, women on another pitch, singing thirds, tenors and sopranos on one pitch, bass alto on one pitch, singing a four-part chord, um, every t or sing unison, and every time you cross the bar line, go up a go up a scale degree. Um, but you're singing and you're you're improving their skills. Um, so you're going to get a little more creative with the chanting, is what you're saying. Well, the chant, think about it. The chanting wears out their voices and we chant so much. Mm -hmm. And the beginning, the beginning of learning is exhausting and it's, it just takes forever. And so we need to be singing more instead of chanting more. At least that's my opinion. And because I used to chant all the time. And then one day I started singing and I just realized how unrhythmic they were with their singing. So then another thing too is, okay, we're getting that right. Now let's emphasize the strong beats. Because we know that's what we're going to um, eventually be doing in our song. I hear choirs perform, perhaps I'm adjudicating, and everything's there. The cupcake has been baked. There's a little bit of icing and there's no sprinkles. In the learning stage, they forgot strong syllables. They forgot the syllabic stress, the stressed beats in the learning stage, not after they're on words. You are layering in those skills exactly how you want that final product to sound. Mm -hmm. and, that, and if that, nothing else, I mean, you know, you if you know a piece is in four four, the composer probably did a pretty decent job in lining up the text 
to to make beat one the strong beat in the text. So I mean, the, at the very very minimum, you could make sure that you're singing in the meter that it's written in. <laughs> right, and I was not averse to writing in accents if there was going to be accents in the song. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm thinking of a Victor Johnson piece, Gloria, Gloria, Gloria Deo. Well, they had to go datiada, datiada. Well, if I don't put that in the rhythm, they're just going to go and two and and four and and two and three, four. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. There's not going to be any of that. So you add that in. Maybe one line, it doesn't have any marks. The second line, you underline the beats or you, you know, however it is you do it, they see it different ways and you get them to go the way you actually want them to do it in the song. Mm -hmm. The Fincy, the Fincy, my spirit sang all day. Um, when I taught that years ago, in my rhythm sheet, I literally underlined exactly where I wanted all the stress. I had that text in mind at the beginning of learning the rhythm. Um, and it made it made the difference in them being able to sing it more artistically. So, um, you know, you can do lots of things with rhythms. Uh, I think I said it in the first uh, podcast, you're only limited to your own creativity. So think of ways you can make it fun and um, still improve the skills. Now, Denise, what is number two in your list? Um, to add solfege. So you, you've got your rhythm in place. You've gone to the song. You've chanted. You've chanted. You've sung the rhythm. And perhaps you've reviewed the rhythm on text. That's another good thing to do, to review the rhythm from the song on text. Kids don't read very well. They don't read ahead. It reinforces the rhythm. You can sing it monotone, um, you you know, just one pitch. You can chant it, uh, whatever. But then when you add the solfege, you, you're all, you've already introduced the key of the song through previous sight reading. So they've been, let's say the song's in E flat. They've been sight reading in E flat for maybe a week. You, you start this stuff way ahead of time. Um, they're maybe not looking at the song yet, but then they get the song and they're like, oh my gosh, I know where my tonic triad lives. Um, uh, so you're adding solfege. I I also many times would just write out the melodic contour of the song and we'd sing it in solfege before we'd look at the piece. So, um, you know, if they can't sing like one or two beats per isolated, they probably can't sing it in rhythm in the song. So uh, let's say it goes do so mi re ti re do. Well, I would write that out maybe in whole notes and say here is the pulse. Sing one beat per, and sing that over and over. And they're looking, you know, after they've sung their tonic triad and things of that nature. If it's a mixed piece, I write it out in the bass clef for the boys for the basses and say tenors make sure you're looking at the treble clef, basses make sure you're looking at the bass clef. Mm-hmm. You, you want to make sure they're visualizing everything they're going to see in their song. Um, we don't want to confuse anybody as far as that goes, because then their tonic triad lives, you know, in a different position. So I, the melodic contour uh, is real, really pays, pays off. And the more advanced kids get, and I would never do this like with my men's choir, but with my by varsity treble and my collegiate women's choir, I could, I could say, let's sing the melodic contour measure one through five. Well, they know they would sing no repeated pitches. 
like if there were two me's in a row, they'd just sing the first one and skip to the next one and leave out all the rest. Mm-hmm. So they were just literally beginning the idea of how it was going to go up and down and the distance and things of that nature. But before they're ready to do that, it's nice for them just to see it isolated. Um, then when they get to it in the song, it's like, oh, I know how to do this. And they feel very successful. Right. So you could literally do the first two steps in your order, teach rhythms before looking at the song and add solfege by, I mean, even before they even get the music in their hands. I mean, they, that's the point. Right. That's the point. You don't even need to yep. look at it yet. And so, so you're making up, um, you know, whether you're using a tool, um, like like sight reading factory where you're saying okay this piece is in five four which you yep. can which you can do on sight reading factory it's on it's in we're going to choose five four satb choir in the key of e flat um you know uh and we're going to have an eight measure example in the key of e flat you're introducing introducing all these elements ahead of time and then you can even you know after you've done sight reading for the day um, and if you go back to episode um, episode two of this podcast, to Chris Munson and John Duncan, they talk about they start every day with sight reading uh, for at least the first five to ten minutes of the day. So, so make sure you're you're doing that. You're doing it in the key, using the elements that are involved in the piece you're about to rehearse. And then you could even just go from there to your your whiteboard and dry erase marker and start putting some some isolated rhythmic examples on the board and then you could even have students well i guess you could hand the music out and you could say you know what sopranos sing your line forget the rhythm right now and just sing the solfege sequentially as it comes is that the kind of thing you would do yes and i i I also i wrote out a lot of things and did handouts one side would be uh, maybe a half of one side would be rhythm um, there might be some chord progressions and the other side, there might be some melodic contours, you know, it just depends on the difficulty of the song. Um, and I would put it on a, I would photocopy it on a different colored paper. So get out your purple sheet. And they knew that that went with my spirit saying all day, you know, something like that. Um, so I, I liked them to hold it. I liked them to read it, but uh, I also put things on the board. Um, and of course we'd read out of sight reading books and like this, this sight reading um, thing online that you're talking about sounds fantastic. So I think you could, you could get a lot of bang for your buck. You're really introducing elements of the piece before they're seeing the piece. Um, and then there's different trains of thought on this. I'll just say this people going, yeah, well, they're not reading. They're not learning the music. Yeah, they are. And I'm trying to build skills. I'm not interested in when they leave my class after a year that they learn 12 songs and they want a trophy at the, at our festival. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And why, and why would you not, like, why would you not use these tools? Uh, you know, you're, you know, why would you sabotage your own, your own children? Because you, I mean, I don't know. I don't think yeah. kids yeah. Need, need to come out and read like Vocious 8 on, on their first time through. <laughs> in That's right. Year. So, um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, so, so, okay. We've got teach rhythms before looking at the song and add solfege. Of course, you're not singing a song on solfege yet because right. what is number so- three? Yeah, so you've you've extract maybe you've extracted the melodic contour, um, and you've introduced the key through previous sight reading. Then you're looking at your music now, and you're chanting the solfege in rhythm, and they get that right. And I used to have a rule. Sometimes I would I would have them write it in ahead of times, 
Um, sometimes I would uh, say try it, and on the third time, anything you miss, write it in. Mm-hmm. It just depends, on, you know, it depends on the level of where they are and what they need. Then chant the the um, solfege and rhythm, but add emphasis on the strong beats. Mm-hmm. Then I might we might sing it a couple times, and then I might say, okay, now look at the words, underline which word or words we, you know we will bring out just by looking at this phrase, and they would know. Underline it. Okay, now you're still on solfege. I get that. Sing into that note more. So you're already laying, you're layering and suggesting the idea of syllabic stress before they ever get to words way back. So when they finally get to words, it's going to be easy. It's not going to be a fight. Right. (laughs) They've already been doing it. So then I have sing on solfege with desired vowels and tone. So we're always focusing on accuracy. The hierarchy for me is pitches and rhythms, period, the end. And then add in syllabic and word stress. And then, of course, you know, if you studied your score, there's chances are you're going to have a lot of one section and it's going to come back again. So creative repetition, where does, does this come back again? Where does it come back? Let's explore it and let's find out, is it exactly the same or if it's different, who's different? And then repetition, add in the syllabic uh, word stress. Um, so that that's through number three. Does, does all that sound like so no, Number do? three is sing your music on solfege. That's that's sometimes people's number one, and and yeah, there's so much in one and two before you get to three. Sing on solfege. Well, just to set them up for success and to de- keep developing skills, not just the rhythm of the song, but them to be able to do ri- isolated rhythms without without the song. Okay, so now what is the the importance of number four? Sing on a neutral syllable. Now, well, why don't we just keep singing on solfege until we until we get to the text? Well. First of all, I think it changes the, the solfege can be a crutch and it's a great crutch and it's a great learning tool and I love it and I did it. I find that neutral syllables and humming really tell the tale if they know their pitches. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm not a big fan of ahs at the beginning of learning because I think there's so many shades of ahs, but I love O oh and I love ooh. So O and E are in the same column and O and A are in the same column for me. So O and O or maybe have the basses sing on D, the tenors on do, the sopranos on do, the altos on dot, whatever. Um, neutral syllable is going to further solidify whether they know their intervals and in, in, it, it always does. So you're and pulling like the training think- wheels off. It, yeah, slowly. It's very slowly. And, um, okay, to have two two parts sing on, on a neutral syllable while the other two hum. Um, my favorite, and I'm being facetious, my favorite thing to see in the classroom is study your music. Sopran- Everyone else, study your music. Sopranos, stand and sing through your part. I, I always wanted to say, define what is study your music. No one's studying their music. They might be looking at it, but they're probably not studying it. But if you tell them to hum their part, they are actively engaged in the learning process. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe everybody should be engaged. I just don't like that downtime. Again, that's creative repetition. And they're going to know what they're missing. And when it's their turn, they're going to get it better. Right. That's true. So, so repetition is, I think we're going to get to that. Repetition is that's your friend. Your, that's your friend. Okay. Yes. So we're on the neutral syllable, making sure we are accurate. We're... 
We're focusing on syllabic and word stress. Um, okay, now, now let's talk about the final consonant thing. I need to I need to hear about about that. You have okay. written add well, in final consonants. So so I used to get so discouraged. We'd go solfege, neutral, monotone text, and text. When we went monotone text things did not line up rhythmically. And then I realized there is not a final consonant on the solfege. They all end in vowels, Mm -hmm. but we sing words like Lord and it ends in a consonant. Well, so now this is, here's the thing about layering. If they can't master something, you don't add anything onto it. So this, this next step that I'm going to go out on a limb and tell you about is only for the choirs that can master the steps before and can do it. Some kids cannot do this till they get older. So like my non-varsity boys could not do this. Maybe in the spring they could, but my varsity girls could, and sometimes my second tier women could. Um, So I'm just gonna throw it out there. Add the final consonants. So let's say it is, um, the pitches are do, do, do. And it's, oh, my God. Well, you'd go, do, so, me, do, 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 Because what you're really doing is setting them up for rhythmic breathing for going on in the song. It's a release. That you one tip. Releases. That one tip is worth this entire episode right now. I'm well, like, seriously, this is, a, that's like, a, that's, my mind is blown. It changed my it changed my life. It changed the rhythmic integrity of my choir, and it also made me realize that a breath has duration. So, we're going to make that an eighth eighth. Change that quarter note to an eighth note. Put an eighth rest after it, and put your D above it. Put mm-hmm. your consonant release there, and then they start realizing. Let's just say it's oh oh my god and rock. Well, they realize that when they put the duh on the eighth rest. They're also rhythmically breathing. Do, 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 do. I just changed everything in my teaching, Ryan, I have to tell you. And I, and I got the idea from my dear friend, uh, the rhythmic breathing idea from my dear friend, Amy Alabon, who is a masterful teacher. And um, she, she introduced rhythmic breathing to me. And that's when I realized that it all came from the, con- a lot of it came from the consonant release. So if they can do it, add it in. And what would happen in my choir, especially the advanced choirs, the first read through, they were putting final consonants on. They were just seeing the words. It, they, it just became a part of their reading, which is really a high level skill to be seeing solfege or neutral syllable and find the final consonants. So I think if that helps you, it's, it's awesome. But you can't do it till they can do everything else. You know what I'm talking about? Exactly, because the layering, you can't layer more until they master the thing before it. It'll frustrate you and them. So until they can do, they can do everything up to number four, you don't want to add that in. Then the next thing is monotone chant and sing the text. Um, a lot of times, especially if you're doing a foreign language, oh my goodness, they need to roll all that German around and taste those taste those consonants and those closed e vowels and all that stuff they're doing, they don't need to be worried about pitches. In fact, a lot of times I would introduce the tough stuff in a warm-up, and it might be kind of slow-mo just to get them going and their, their mouths 
tasting it before they before they sing it. Think about it. You're let's say you're doing German and you've got fast notes and yeah, you might be able to do everything on solfege and neutral, but you add German to that, it's a it's a new song. It's just a new song. So um, I think it's really important to separate the different notes of the chord. So again, sing a four-part chord or a three-part chord, or I love doing thirds, like let's say do and me in the sopranos, uh, altos, and then maybe uh, re and fa or re and fi in the men. So these, these kind of crunchy things, and they're having to sing repeated pitches, which is very difficult for kids sometimes to sing repeated pitches. And they're singing into dissonances and they're listening and you hear when they go out of tune. It's something weird about that whole tone scale. Um, the first four notes of a whole tone scale. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, whatever combinations you want to do there, a major chord, unisons, whatever you want to do. But it can help the teacher to discern what they're hearing more if they've given different pitches uh, to each to each group. Um, and then again, of course, you're going to add in the syllabic and word stress, but you can't add it in until they've got it. It's got to roll around in their mouth several times when they've done it monotone. You've got to say, okay, what, you know, can you give me a taller O vowel here? I need a brighter, more forward E vowel here. Your repetition, you're always giving them things to improve upon. You don't just say, let's do it again. Why are we doing it again? It needs, we need to have a reason why we're doing it again. Um, before we before we move on um, with that. Um, and then repetition of the release of the final consonants will most likely be needed at this point because we're on words now. So what we might have introduced in number four on the neutral syllable will we add at the final consonants, um, we will definitely have to do with the words. And I will say this, I used to add final consonants in with solfege. Um, I added it in in number three, but I just didn't put it on this list because I thought it would like blow people's minds. So, uh -huh. I, didn't, you know, they go, what? You have to watch it, too, because you can get some interesting words. Um, uh, I bet you can. Yeah, you can. You got to be prepared for that, too, because they are going to happen. Yeah, I always love things that that start on T and yeah. end in T. There you go. <laughs> or start on F and end in T. Yeah. Um, you, you just have to watch it, uh, but you, you know, they're good moments for levity as well. Um, I, I, I would make lots of jokes with that a lot of times and we'd laugh a lot and then we get over it, you know, and be, try to be mature and move on. Well, you, you know, you all have a lot of dairy farms in Texas, so, right. so you, you know, you are no strangers to teat. That's right. So, <laughs> all right. I said it. Okay. Uh, okay. You said it. Uh, okay. So now are we moving on to. Final step number six, because this number looks like six. this looks like this is a this is a loaded step. Well, this is because it's got repetition as your friend at the bottom, and it's the key to successful learning. Um, again, if you're doing a, a, a complicated song, um, you got to have some ways to break it down, and and make sure every they're listening, they're humming, you're doing pairings and things of that nature. So the, step six, choir nation, is sing on text, emphasizing desired vowels and tone, of course. Um, focus on pitch accuracy, always. Add in syllabic and word stress. And then I add explore combinations of voice parts. Um, I might do, if it's a women's choir, soprano one and alto, then soprano one and soprano two. 
um, uh, mixed choir, soprano bass. I, I like to do outers and inners, highs and lows, women and men. And here's the thing is I'm doing those combinations though. Maybe my altos and tenors are singing out loud. My sopranos and basses are humming. Mm-hmm. They're always humming. And so they're, and if you've really studied your score, you're going to know where the difficult parts are. And then those will also lead to your combinations. You won't start with the most difficult combinations. You'll start with the most harmonic combinations. But if, you know, it gets difficult and the inners are just like really dissonant or the bass alto are really dissonant, you wouldn't want to start off with that because they would, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be as successful. Um, you would do that maybe earlier on when you're on solfege. Of course, you do different. You know, and I didn't put that in, the combinations. Um, the combination should be throughout the, the process of learning. Mm -hmm. Not just when you get to the text. So all of these uh, really should be added. Yeah, they should be added up really in number two. Well, so the beautiful thing three. is with, num with number six, if you do one through five like a champ and you actually layer and you mm -hmm. don't skip ahead because you're impatient, by the time you get to number six, this should not be too bad. I mean, this should be a pretty darn nice sounding piece. Yes, and you then, of course, it allows you to add so much more musicality, and you can add rubato, and people are knowing how we're moving, and they know it. They've, they've experienced it at all levels and while they've developed tone and improved rhythm skills and all these other things that we, we want them to do. What I think is amazing about singing, and I always tell my kids this, and I'm not sure who else uses this, but I, I think I may have thought of it myself, but it doesn't sound like something that, that would be too far off for people just to say. But I always tell my kids that singing is like a checklist. You know, you have all these things to keep track. You know, is my posture in alignment uh, in the right place? Am I breathing correctly? You know, am I using this beautiful tone? Um, and then, I mean, here we are talking about an individual piece, you know, are my rhythms and pitches accurate? Am I singing with proper words, syllabic and word stress? And are my final consonants in, in my breathing, are, are they timed? Is it, you know, is it timed correctly? And then uh -huh. God almighty, I'm singing in French, you know, do I uh -huh. understand the rules of French? And it's like all these cumulative layers and, and using a, a method such as, quote-unquote, Eaton's orders of events for layering skills and sequential teaching, which I feel like, Denise, we got to get a better name for this thing. <laughs> oh. but, but, I mean, if you, do, if you do this, you're freeing up all of your students' mental RAM to care about, like, now, like, giving a moving performance of this, of this piece. Right, not just uh, I hope we can get through it performance, which what happens so much because people jump to the text too soon and they have not, the kids haven't, it needs to be a part of them more. And, you know, when you're in college and you're doing, you know, 10 to 15 songs on a concert, it's at a different level. I mean, and, and, and the layering in college goes so fast and the application of it is, is so advanced. Like you say something about this one song and you get to another song and you say, remember when we talked about in this, the, the song, do it here. Well, they can do that. I'm sorry. A lot of high school kids cannot do that. They need 
they need exactly what needs to happen. Some can. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not discounting the ability. My high school choirs were, were really able to do a lot of things well. But, like, I'm just going to say I did um, Lauridson's Say Pera Ver Vi Oime from his fire songs. Mm-hmm. And it was really too hard for my choir, but I don't, I don't regret doing it. I do not regret doing it because we learned so much, but I made a chord chart of that song and we sang those chords for a month. I started it so early, just the chords uh, off this, off a piece of paper that I'd written it out and everybody knew their dissonances, where their unisons were, how they approached their dissonances. Um, and they knew what it felt like to sing into those dissonances. And until they said, when are we going to see this, sing the song? Because it's beautiful. It's just absolutely gorgeous. I said, we're not going to see the song until this is in tune. Period. The end. We're not moving on. And, and I'm so glad I let that marinate for so long. It was a part of them. And then when we got to the song, the harmonies were not that hard. The rhythms, eh, I was pretty challenging. There were some weird rhythms. But what I'm saying is, is, is if you think through how they need to learn it through your score study, and then you have a plan as to how you're going to layer it in, it can be real. The learning can be really quite quick. I'm telling you, Mm -hmm. it really can. When it makes you as a director think about how you're going to dissect this piece to, to teach it. I mean, you're, you're going to come in just way more prepared because you're, because you have to, in order to institute a layering type approach. Well, yeah, it's just like um, the Bassler, Alleluia. Um, I did it with my collegiate women, and I had a lot of freshmen, mainly freshmen. And when I knew that when they saw 12-8, that was going to be weird. I just knew it was going to be weird. So I wrote out a breakdown, a rhythmic breakdown in 12-8. And when they looked at the song, they got it. They had experienced it apart from the song. They saw everything they were going to see in the song. And I had one girl come up to me and she said, I am, I have never been good at rhythms. Thank you for doing this. This made so much sense. And I don't feel stupid. And I was like, whoa, whoa. So if she's thinking that, you know, other people are thinking that. Right. There's this like, there's these other benefits that come out of teaching in this manner, like self-confidence, <laughs> you yes. know? which is, a, yes. which is so funny. Like, so it just goes to show that, I mean, good teaching is good teaching and, and good teaching draws out all these amazing, uh, additional qualities in, in, in the students that you didn't think you were focusing on, but you were, you were, there's a, there, these benefits were, were coming out anyway. I think it's like, I'm looking at this and I'm about to print this, print this, uh, uh, this set of bullets and stick it on my, uh, I'm going to, I think I'm going to tape it on my uh, music stand at school. I mean, I, I've seriously, I think this is such a, such a, a wonderful way to teach. And I, I'm very happy that uh, you were able to share this with choir nation today, because I, I, I know that we're going to get a lot of people heading over to choir.ninja. Remember it's, there's no.com it's just choir.ninja. Uh, and you're going to type in Denise's name, Denise Eaton, or just Denise, and you're going to find the show notes there, and you'll be able to print it there as well, and stick it on your music stand, and just, just like remember, I will. Just remember, though, number three can really have all those combinations that are found in number six. Don't be afraid to do combinations when you're of voice parts. Of 
Okay, yeah. right. Sing on solfege, multiple, you know, inner yeah. voices, outer voices, you know, uh, um, soprano ones with the altos, soprano ones in, in twos, men or women, those, those types of combinations, right? So right. you're not singing, you're not singing on text yet. You're only singing the, 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 solfege. the pitch patterns on solfege. Right. So, um, wow, Denise, uh, you, you blew my mind today and I'm, I'm, <laughs> You know, two weeks in a row. So uh, I think I think Choir Nation will be screaming for you to come back sometime in the near future. Oh, well, when you're old, you just learn a lot. And that's the beauty. You know, I, I, I still miss teaching high school, but I just remember in year 29, I was so tired physically. It was the physical tired and the mental wear out. It's kind of like you get older and you sort of think you're starting to figure it out. And you're just like, I just don't have it in me anymore. So I'm, I'm just really glad to, to share and to mentor and help in any way I can. And I said it in the first session, and I'm going to say it again. Give yourself grace every day. Never forget that help is a good four-letter word. And use your personal and musical strengths to your advantage. Everybody doesn't have all the answers. No one does. That's why we have each other. Well, Denise, you know... Uh, I, I think you might be a member, but you know we have a a group of each others on Facebook, which is the Choir Nation Facebook group. Uh, so if you head over to Facebook.com uh, and you type in Choir Nation in the search bar, you'll find it. Just request access Choir Nation, um, and you will see a group of very awesome people there uh, that are there to help uh, support. You discuss episodes, uh, share with each other their successes, um, their questions, and, and give answers. And, um, and Denise, I, I think you're actually a part of that group. Well, I will have to look into it. And if I am not a member of Choir Nation, I will definitely um, ask to join. I look forward to that. Well, perfect. Denise, I really appreciate you being uh, on the Choir Ninja podcast. And uh, as my motto states, uh, that you you have helped Choir Nation to step up to the podium with purpose. That's my motto is step up to the podium with purpose. And you have definitely helped Choir Nation to step up to the podium with purpose today on the Choir Ninja podcast. So thank you so much for being my guest. Well, thank you for having me, Ryan. I appreciate it. All right, there you have it, Choir Nation. Uh, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Choir Ninja Podcast. Want to make sure you know to head over to SightReadingFactory.com, our sponsor for this episode. Type in the promo code NINJA, N-I-N-J-A, all caps, uh, and you will get 10 free student accounts. So uh, Choir Nation, this is not something you want to pass up. This is not a deal you're going to find anywhere else, and don't forget that code. So uh, again, head over to SightReadingFactory.com. Meet me on Facebook at Choir Nation and tell your friends about this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love if you would pass it on uh, to a friend and have them uh, learn a little bit about how to approach uh, teaching a piece of music in this awesome Denise Eaton style layering method. So thank you so much for joining me and I will see you next week.